You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Demetrius White on Sunday, September 26, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. We've been in a series, in a series called The Two Sides of the Gospel, Understanding the Good News and the Bad News. Last week we highlighted the bad news. We found out that man is condemned because of his willing rebellion against God. And I wanted to highlight the bad news first because this was Paul's method of relaying the gospel to the Roman church. And not only to the Roman church, but to the world at large. I want you to understand that Paul does not start his gospel message with God has a wonderful plan for your life. And that he wants you to prosper. But he starts with highlighting the bad news That the glory of the good news would shine at its brightest temperature. But this, I believe, the book of Romans is the greatest book in the Bible. It is great because it unravels the glorious mystery of the gospel. And Paul began his presentation of the gospel with five pillars. He talks to us about the source of the gospel, the historicity of the gospel, the person of the gospel, the reason for the gospel, and the great blessing of the gospel that we will focus on today. He tells us the source of the gospel in Romans 1.1. He tells us that the gospel originates with God. It is God's possession. It is his message. It is his declaration to humanity. It is precious to him and it is orchestrated by God. He began this message or he established this thing in eternity past and he worked this message into time through what we call the prophets. This is what Romans 1.2 tells us about the historicity of the gospel. That the gospel isn't a made-up message. It is a message rooted in history and in time. It is central to both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the prophets endeavored to reveal the person of the gospel that we see in Romans 1.3. It tells us that the gospel is centered in a person. Contrary to popular belief, the gospel is not about you. It's not about how great you are. It's not about how much money you can get. It's not about how you can prosper contrary to popular belief. The gospel concerns, Romans 1-3, Jesus Christ, and it exalts and it magnifies him. If you don't get anything out of this message today, I want you to understand Romans 1-3, that the gospel concerns Jesus Christ. If you're hearing any other gospel, something that does not exalt or magnify or cause you to savor Jesus Christ, it is not The gospel. We need Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul gives us the reason for the gospel, which we studied last week, which is found in Romans chapter 1, 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. Paul lays out his systematic indictment of humanity, proving that we are sinful before a holy God. Paul did not stop there, but he unraveled this great truth called the blessing of the gospel that's found in Romans 3, 21, all the way into Romans chapter 5. And this great blessing is justification by faith or righteousness, God's free gift or his way of making man right with himself apart from human works. It is through this blessing, the blessing of justification, that God the Father ushers in all other blessings, for us. 
The doctrine of justification is so critical to the health and growth of the Christian life that John Calvin once said, justification by faith is the hinge on which all true religion turns. It is so vital to the identity of the Christian that Martin Luther said, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. And so it is for us. We must understand this great truth that we may take joy and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Here in Romans 5, Paul highlights the good news of justification by faith, that sinners are made right with God and are in right standing with him because of the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. He highlights justification, and he highlights four tremendous blessings that come behind justification. Here are the four points that we will cover today. Number one, we will look at the blessing of peace, found in Romans 5.1. Secondly, we will look at the blessing of access, found in Romans 5, verses 2 through 3. Then we will look at the blessing of glory, found in Romans 5, verse 4. And then we will look at the blessing of love. Romans 5, 5 through 11. Now, before we move into these great points, we want to understand the doctrine of justification. I want to convey this truth to you, and I want to paint it upon your hearts this morning, what this doctrine is trying to relate to us. James Buchanan, in his great book, The Doctrine of Justification, one of the chief books on the, to- on the topic, says this of justification by faith. Justification is a legal or forensic term and is used in Scripture to denote the acceptance of anyone as righteous in the sight of God. The word justification in this passage finds its root in the Greek word dikaio, and it means an accused person is pronounced free of condemnation and punishment. To sum it up, justification happens when someone is declared innocent, free of condemnation and punishment in the light of a law. In Romans 5.1, Paul is highlighting or he is reiterating justification by faith in a nutshell. And I'm going to give you some brief points before we get into these four blessings. He is highlighting the blessing of justification. Number one, he is showing us the state of our justification, who has justified us, and how we are justified. I want you to look at verse 1 here. It says, since therefore we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul there is telling us about the state of our justification. Paul, and I want you to notice this, what he said about it. He, He said, we have been justified. He's not saying we're being justified or we will be justified at a point in the future. Paul is saying right now at this very moment, you have been made, if you're in Christ, you have been made right with God because of what Christ has done for you. We are in right standing with Christ. But not only does he convey the state of our justification, but he tells us about who justifies us. This isn't just a human judge or someone with human authority, a king, a a priest, or some type of dictator. We're talking about God is the one who justifies us. I want you to notice here the word therefore in verse 1. Just look at that. That is a powerful word. Therefore, what Paul is doing is he points back to what he has previously said about the great doctrine of justification in chapters 3 and 4 of Romans. 
In Romans 3, verse 30, Paul tells us that it is God who justifies. It is the Father who makes us right with himself. Your past critics, your critics, your past, your present, your future cannot muster up enough power to condemn you. And you don't have the authority and the right to condemn anyone else in the body of Christ. And this is what's happening in America all over the place. People not believing certain truths, certain social ideologies, and they're condemning their brothers and sisters in Christ. Not so. Jesus Christ has justified us and made us right, not by what we can do in this world, but by what he has done for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice how God justifies us. I want you to notice that in verse 2, it says this in verse 2, we have peace with God, what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that does not say you're justified by, once again, by what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. Through Christ alone, through faith alone, Romans 3.22, you have been made right with God. It is because of Jesus's perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection that you have been made right with the Father. Now, I want you to understand something here. I want you to uh, feel a, a, a sense of finality in this passage. There's a sense of finality. You have been justified. It is God who justifies us. It is through Christ we have been justified. This is a done deal. This, I'm going to tell you, this, this God here we serve, he's good. You, you know God tricked the whole system, man. This is a fail-proof thing right here. And I'm excited about it. This is good news. You can't fail with this kind of deal. God justifies you. He places you in Christ. When he sees you, he no longer sees your record. He sees the record of Christ. Justification is an immutable, unchanging gift given to us by the Father. And if he has given you this great gift, he will in no way retract it from you. What does Romans eleven twenty nine 29 say? to us. It says that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He will not take back this gift of being made right with him. Long before Romans 8, 31 through 38, on the security of the believer's salvation, Paul says through this one verse, your salvation has been sealed. Do you believe this this morning? This is hard to believe. This is, I tell you, sometime I sit up at night and I think, are you sure, God, that there isn't something that I need to do to keep this thing going? And the answer from Scripture is no. I have done everything that needs to be done. What a wonderful God we serve. But you know, I find that uh, although we confess this with our mouth, our hearts are far from the truth of God sometimes. Although we uh, name the name of Christ with our lips, we often function as practical atheists, don't we? 
We look at someone who doesn't read their Bible and we say, oh, that subpar little thing there that goes to church every Sunday, they're not a Christian, they don't read the Bible. And then when you fail in reading the Bible for two weeks, you run yourself through the mud. Listen, your state before God has nothing to do with what you can do for him. You know, we do for God because of the grace that has been shown to us. That is why we work, not to earn God's favor, but because of his great blessing to us, because of what he has done out of love, we do those things to know God better. You know, in my time at work, walking downtown, I often run into religious people. And what I mean by this are cults and, and, and false teachers on the side of the street half the time. And they're always asking these questions or they're always promoting themselves. We're out here handing out tracts. We're out here on mission. We are doing something to powder ourselves up for the Father to make ourselves right. What are you doing? You know what drives them crazy? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> the Father has done everything. And it is out of what he has done, I can now share the glorious truth of the gospel with everyone else freely and without weight. You see, our justification is fixed. It is decreed by God. It rests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, how is your prayer life? Do, 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 you, do you go to God and, say, and think about that sin you, you, you committed two days ago? You know, there's a reason why Jesus says you must pray in his name, right? You're going in there on his stead. You, you are taking the family name before God. That's why there are people in church history who have seen tremendous prayers answered. You know why? Because they're going to the Father not in their own merit. They're going to the Father with the merit and righteousness of another. If you sin yesterday, if you sin today, if you sin this second, God still, his arms are open to you. Come to him. And this brings us to our first great point, our first great blessing of justification. I want you to notice here that we have peace with God. It says here in Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the text does not say we have the peace of God, but peace with God. That, th there's a difference there. Dear beloved, you cannot have internal peace without objective peace from God. This peace presupposes that there was enmity between God and man. We talked about that a great deal last week. I don't want to reiterate, but I want to highlight it just a little bit. Romans 8, 7 says that our minds are at enmity with God when we are outside of Christ. Romans 1, 32 says that we are haters of God. Psalm 7, 11 through 13 says God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. If man does not repent, he will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shaft. Psalm 5, 5 says that God hates the evildoer. And in John 3, 36, it says, 
because because of his evil, the wrath of God abides upon him. But I want you to notice in verse 1, there is good news for us and people like this. It is through Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm going to say it again because we have the tendency to, to, to make peace about us. It is through Jesus Christ that you have peace with God. Someone here, you may not know Christ. You may, you may have said last week, I hate everything that that man in the pulpit had just said. You may hate what I'm saying now, but let me tell you something about how good God is. He is willing to give you this peace. If you would just repent and come to him, this man, I'm telling you, God will open his arms to you and receive you in. And I pray that that happens to you. Dearly beloved, listen. God does not see you as some vile, decrepit, putrid sinner lying on the side of the street. Oh, there they go again. They done messed up. I tell you, I'm going to get my hammer out and make them a grease spot. God does not see you like that. Is that how you see God? then you don't understand the great blessing of peace that he has given to you because he has justified you through Christ. You know, one of my favorite books, I think I read it every day or just about every day. I look at the text in this book. Outside of the Bible is Milton Benson's book called A Gospel Primer. It is a tremendous book. I mean... My wife will hear me downstairs in the basement speaking this stuff out loud because I need to hear the gospel every day because I am prone to good. I am prone to believing that I am right with God because I'm a pastor or I pray or I read my Bible more than someone else or I study more than some. I I am prone to that. And I need the bad news to show me that I'm not so hot. And I need the good news to show me that I'm well-loved because of God's gracious act towards me through Jesus Christ. But this is what Vincent says here. He says, in justifying me, God declared me innocent of my sins and pronounced me righteous with the very righteousness of Jesus. God allowed his future and present wrath to be completely exhausted, propitiated in Christ who bore it upon the cross. God no longer is holding a wrathful disposition to you. He may be grieved. I have four children. They do grieve me. I am not wrathful. I do not want to see them harmed. But I could tell the boys, hey man, take out that trash. Yeah, I'll get it right now, Daddy. And an hour later, the trash is still sitting there. I am grieved. But I am not going to kick them out of the house. You realize that. I am not going to make them grovel for forgiveness. Because they will say they're sorry. And like the prodigal, the dad and the prodigal son, I am willing 
to embrace them. But let me tell you something. God is, is even, uh, uh, he's a better father than I could ever be. Do you realize who God is? God did not give angels an opportunity to repent and come to him. But for some reason, I don't get it. It blows my mind. Human beings created out of the dust with sin in them. God gives his only son to them. That, my friend, is the greatest news in all of the universe. You have peace with God. Let's, let us look at our second blessing here. Access with God. We have access. Notice here in Romans 5, 2 through 3. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Paul says that we have access into the grace by which we stand. And when he says access into this grace, he is pointing back to what he has said here about justification. He is saying that we have an audience with God. Justification allows us to stand in the presence of God and have an audience with him. You know, Leon Moore says in this, in this passage, he, gives, he says, this passage gives us the idea that we're in the presence chamber of a monarch. But I would say, I, I would say that Leon Moore misses it a little bit here. This passage is saying something greater to us. It is saying that we are, we are in, have gone from the courtroom of God and been placed into the family room of God. We now have a seat at the table. We're like Mephibosheth, right? This young, I mean, Mark talked about that. We, we're crippled. We're undesirable. And here comes this great king in all of his grandeur, and all of his royal power. And he looks at us and he says, I want this one at the table. And we're seated there. And we have access to the Father to bring our cares and wants to Him. In the Old Testament, this was limited. We could not go into the presence of God. You would be killed for going into the presence of God. They could only go into the presence of God once a year. And the high priest had to do that. But through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can go to the Father. Listen. You have access to the Father. You don't need a priest. You don't need a special $20 offering. You know, when we were going to this other church, you had to give what is called a Passover offering to have an, off, uh, an audience. Because the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Ridic absolutely absurd. You don't need a chummy relationship with your pastor to have an audience with God. You have access to God. How is your approach to God this morning? Do you cry out to him? You see, this, if, if you don't go to God, it is a telltale sign that you feel that you are self-sufficient in yourself. Either that or you do not believe because of some sin that you have committed, something in the past that you have done that you have to atone for, that you can't go to God. Let me tell you, you have access to God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Do you go to God? 
Do you enjoy him? Do you savor him? Do you carry your needs, the weights of your anxieties to him? Do you fellowship with God? Ask yourself this. If you don't, I'm give, I, this is good news. God is willing and he is ready for you to come to him with all of your cares and your burdens and to fellowship with him. You have access with God. And it is through Jesus Christ and his righteousness in verse 2 that you are able to stand. It is the person who is fellowshipping with God that knows they have access to the Father that is able to stand. In Daniel eleven thirty two, the people who know their God, they shall be what? Strong and then what? Do exploits. The people who know. The people who come to God. The people who cry out to him. Those are the people that are strong and do exploits. There are no great men of God in the body of Christ. You may look at Martin Luther. He's a great man. Or you may look at uh, 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 Hudson Taylor. He's a great man. You know what they are? They're weak men with a great God. And they fellowship with God. That's what makes them strong. You have access to Father. Several weeks ago, my daughter Ari... I love her. I call her my sweets. I call her my sweets. I think she's the sweetest thing going. I, I just love her. And if you join our family, my grandparents will give you a nickname so that I call her sweets. All of my kids have a nickname. But sweets didn't, did something the other day that wasn't so sweet. She wasn't so savory on this, this day. My wife calls me. I'm working downstairs in the basement in my office. My wife's upstairs. She's doing something. I don't know how Sweets got away from her, but she got away from her. She's fast, man. She got away from her, and she got a tube of toothpaste, a brand-new tube of toothpaste, and she squirted it all over the, the, the loft family room floor. She painted the windows with it. She painted the, 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 the couch with it, and... My wife called me up, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, sweets, what did you do? And I was just done. I felt like I was going to pass out. <laughs> this was a royal mess. But, you know, the most miraculous thing about Ari, my, my youngest child, is that we were cleaning up, and she came to me, and she said, Daddy, I'm sorry. I love you. And she gave me the biggest hug. And I'm sitting there just rolling on the floor with her, kissing and hugging on her. I love her. You know what she understands? She understands that she is a child of Demetrius White. And she has access to me regardless of anything else. Let me tell you, y'all are looking at me like a dog at a new pan. But let me tell you. Do you realize this is the greatest news to ever be assembled? God, he's better than Demetrius. I'm a sinful man. God is better, greater, 
He is itching for you to come back to him when you sin. Do you understand that? He is willing. I'm telling you, if you don't know Christ this morning, God is, God just like that is willing to save you. This is the good news. You found out last week that you're radically depraved. You're finding out this week that God does truly love radically depraved sinners and that he will go for broke for them. Do you believe that this morning? She knows, already knew her position. She knows her position. She has access to me. You have access to the Father. If you don't know him, he is willing to give you you access and because we have access it causes us to rejoice in the hope of glory I want you to notice here in verse 4 it says well let's go to verse 3 it'll it'll enter into that not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand this, that because of justification, we can boast. We have, this was talking about hope. That word hope talks about, it's talking about boasting in glory, in future glory. This speaks to us of the promise of seeing God's glory, the glory we shall experience in the new heavens and the new earth. I want you to notice we are to rejoice in this hope. Now, the word hope today is a weak word. We hear the word hope and it gives us a ring of uncertainty, doesn't it? I mean, we, we hear phrases like, I'm hoping for the best, or I hope against, of Demetrius, I'm hoping against hope, which implies that we aren't very hopeful at all. In his book, Paradise Lost, book two, line 139, John Milton said, our final hope is flat despair. That is the extent of human hope. But this is not what the scriptures mean when we talk about hope. Because in scripture, hope is a certainty that the thing hoped for will happen. Dearly beloved, those who have been justified have a new focus. They have a new hope. They have a new boast. And it is the hope of glory. Those who are in Christ seek those things that are above, that those things that are above can keep them settled below. A few years ago, my oldest son, Chase, I watched him take his last breath. He died on my wife and I. You know what kept me going? Hope of glory. (laughs) Hope of glory. That's what kept us going. Because you see, I understand that future grace, future glory says that Jesus is at this moment, may not look like it. He is making all things new. And that he is going to wrap this thing up, it says in Hebrews, like a blanket. He is going to retire this thing. He is going to bring in new galaxies, new planets, new colors, 
food that you have never or could ever imagine. Isaiah 25, 6. He is going to bring back those that I have lost, my loved ones, so that we can, listen, we can stand around the throne and worship God. He is going to take sickness and disease and eradicate it. And when you have been there for a million years, two million years, three million years, five trillion years, that thing that you wept over will no longer be a blip on your radar. That is future glory. We rejoice in this. We rejoice in this. James Montgomery Boyce says this. The only reason that this is called hope is because we have not obtained the thing hoped for, although we will. Dearly beloved, do you boast in the hope of glory? This is what Paul had. Because of his justified position before the Father, he rejoiced in the hope of glory and he was able to withstand life. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. We know that this, listen, this man was, was whipped 39 times. This man was beaten. This man was stoned. He was left for dead. He was dead. The man was stoned and he went. He said, I went to heaven. I saw things I can't even repeat. He was shipwrecked. He was hungry. He had no place to lay his head sometimes. He was despised. He was run out of town half the time. Talk about, I mean, Paul wouldn't make it in today's ministry here in America. Would he be considered a failure? You don't want to go to his ministry class. (laughs) But this is Paul. And he says, we know that this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory (laughs) beyond comparison. That is the truth. Beyond comparison. You know, God is using, it says here that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Listen, God is using your suffering. You know, when my son died, God used that suffering. He says that all things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to his birth. Listen, he didn't say all things were good, but that they're working to good. My son dying wasn't good. It's a part of the curse. But God used that. What is the purpose? Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of Christ. The great Puritan said this. He said, God had one son without sin, but none without suffering. You, my friend, God is using even your suffering to wean you of your love of the world. To show you the fleeting nature of this world. God is crying out to you with a loud clarion call that this thing is passing away with every stroke of suffering, with every pain. You know, I turned 40, 40, what, 43 on Wednesday. And I look at a picture of myself when I was in high school. I had the Nas fade, man. 
That thing was nice, you know? And I, was, I, I saw the picture at my grandmother's house when I had the hand in the pocket and, and I'm at home coming with the girl on my arm. I was looking fly, man. But I look at myself now and the hair's go, going, you know? The belly's getting a little, little soft. Six-pack's no longer there. But I'm rejoicing in the hope of glory. I understand what God is doing in my life through suffering. He does this for justified believers. And this is the last point here, the last blessing. The love of God, the blessing of God's love. Those that have been justified, God loves those people immensely. You notice here in Romans 5, 5 through 11, notice verse 5, it says that the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. Not our love to God, but he he is assuring us of God's love towards us. Now, here's a question that you have to ask when you're reading a text like this. Well, how, how is it that God loves us? Huh? Because we think that, you know, in America, we have this thing, and I, I, I'm sorry to keep picking on Americans, but I have to. In America, we think that God's love is seen by us being healthy, wealthy, getting the job that we want, but this is not so in Scripture. And if you believe the right thing, you'll be stable if something bad does happen. I lost my son. Hope of glory kept us stable. It caused us to stand. But listen, this love of God, how do we know that God loves us? Number one, we see the love of God by his unveiling of who came to save, who he came to save. Now, I want you to understand that this is to display the radical nature of God's love. I want you to look at verse, verses 6, 8, and 10. Notice here, and 6. For while we were what? Still weak at the right time, Christ died for the what? Ungodly. Look, look, look at verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, verse 10. Look at verse 10. For if while we were what? Enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. This is a wonderful display of God's love for you. While you were weak, while you were his enemy, while you were radically depraved, God demonstrates his love for you. You know, Paul, is, Paul wants us to really get this. He, he talks about the audacious nature of God's love, right? He, he, he says that, you know, that some people will die for right here right here so i want to go back to verse six i got to read it to you for while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to 
die, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. You know, I'm going to give you the Demetrius White translation here. It, it's, people don't die for bad people. Would you die for Pol Pot? No. Would you die for Jeffrey Dahmer? No, you wouldn't do that. Would you die for some serial rapist? No, you would not. Paul is saying no one dies for people like that. And if you think that someone's righteous, it's, it's a, listen, it's a rare thing for someone to die for someone who is externally righteous. But he's saying, this, these people I just described, this is exactly who God came to die for. Think of the worst sinner that you could ever conjure up. Paul is saying, yeah, I, I know that it's scandalous, but that exactly who God came to die for. Do you understand the glory of the gospel? Do you understand the love of God for you? Here's the second thing that we can discern about God's love. He tells us that it is Christ who came to die for us. I want you to notice that. It is, verse 11, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. You know, God didn't, I said it earlier, God didn't give you Michael for a sacrifice. He didn't give you Gabriel. He didn't give you Moses. Those, those beings are way insufficient. He gave his son. I have two boys. I love them to death. And I wouldn't give them up for anyone. Although they get on my nerves sometimes. But I would not give them up for a sacrifice for anyone. And here is God. Who looks at you. Knows who you are. No, knew what you would do and says who will go for them and Jesus said you have prepared me a body in Hebrews 10 I will go for them father radically depraved sinners what an amazing message this is and the last thing I want you to see here in 10 and 11, it, we see God's love and what he saves us from. Verse 9, it says, Since we therefore have, been, have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, now we are reconciled that now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You have been saved from the wrath of God. God no longer deals with you in wrath. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. He is a God of compassion. You know, last week, I was 
just surfing through YouTube. Sometimes that's a good thing and a bad thing. And I came across this video. I was shocked where Jordan Peterson said, the God of the Old Testament is more merciful than you realize. <laughs> that is profound. Because I have heard people in the church say that the God of the Old Testament and New Testament are two different beings. One is just full of wrath and will just hammer you down. Here's an unsaved man who read the Old Testament and said, you know what? I have to retract my statements. He's more merciful than we realize. Dear ones, you are a child of God. And what Paul is saying, that if God did this while you were his enemy, while you were ungodly, if God went for broke by sending his own son, how will you face the wrath of God on judgment day? You won't. You won't. This is the good news. We must understand the bad news. We must understand the black velvet backdrop. We must see it. That when we take the diamond of the gospel, the good news, it will shine brightly. And the gospel now makes sense. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this word. We pray that you would apply its truth to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Demetrius White at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.